taking our son's senior picture tonight. It's like pulling freaking teeth getting that boy to wear any kind of clothes or part his hair. I'm not excited about it, but... Did you guys do that? Senior pictures? Not from the school, like on your own. Oh, of course. Did you? Yeah. Oh, we did I don't. I, I, I've been a musician my entire life and all my friends have done this. Did you go to a studio? Were you outdoors? No, no, no. It's like I have a friend's actually who went to the West Bottoms. I don't think I got senior pictures. We I think I just that. got the, the school like ones. the school one. Exactly. With the student hat. All right, big city, yeah. Kansas City. How you feeling? Welcome to Center Cuts. I'm your host, Patrick Spray, and today we have a very special guest. Artist Calvin Arsenia. How are you doing, Calvin? I'm good. How are you? I am just lovely. We are in the home of Chris Mowry. What's up, Chris? Hello. And as we were just saying off air, Calvin, you're our first artist, artist, artist. We we don't really have a title for you. We started going down a long list of names, but uh, we're super excited to have you today. It is episode 27, and it is Tuesday, September 21st, and we wanted to try to have this episode because you've got some really exciting news amongst many other exciting things and that you are now officially an author yeah published author wow how does that feel it feels like most things um imposter syndrome ridden <laughs> um but at the same time it feels it feels extremely i feel honored to be able to have that as another part of my of my work i and uh, i've been saying recently that um no one should write a book in 2020 um, because you might say things that you wouldn't otherwise have said. Um, it's a very open, honest discussion about where I come from and about uh, growing up as a, a Christian in, in the Midwest and then coming out as gay later um, and also um, as a black uh, a, a black American of, of slave descent um, in 2020 and having... A lot of uh, recollections and thoughts from the the murder of George Floyd, and um, but also coming in from a very suburban upbringing, and I imagine that there are a lot of people who have experienced this, and it's not necessarily a popular story to talk about. So, um, people who are, are of uh, mixed race descent or um, or or African Americans who live in in um, more suburban situations, I feel like th- those stories are not like dramatic enough to like get the headlines or like, or they're not going to be making movies about that necessarily. Um, but I wanted to be able to tell my truth and my story in a way that um, wasn't being, I don't know, I, there, there, there's not really a, a bias or something. I just wanted to tell what happened um, and, uh, and, and also have some clever, funny things in there too. I was saying to you too, I've listened to maybe a quarter of the audiobook, and that's a different experience than having the physical page in front of you. But what you just encapsulated right there, Calvin, I mean, that's a good little press release right there. I yeah. think you just nailed it for me, so I really appreciate you taking care of that. Um, well, we are excited. We usually talk a little bit about a calendar, yeah. and it can really be about anything happening. It doesn't have to be just with you. Anything you're looking forward to in the next two, three weeks personally or hmm. oh, you got a hot date what's going on <laughs> I often have hot dates <laughs> <laughs> rhetorical question <laughs> um, yeah um, well we've got the thing tomorrow night at uh, Second Prize I'm playing so I know that this is going to be um, after that but um, 
Then uh, I've got California coming up, which is really exciting. And I want people to go to my website, calvinrcenia.com slash shows, to uh, come out and see me in, in the Bay Area. Um, I'll be in the Bay uh, the middle of October. I've got several performance opportunities there to see me. Um, the most important one is, well, at least in, in my opinion, uh, was the reason why I was asked to be out there at this time, was the at the Independent with Marty O'Reilly. Mm. Um, and uh, that's a pretty... Big venue as far it's as I know. Venue. It's a Absolutely. great venue. Down right, right off the of Divis in, um, in San Francisco, and um, I have not played a venue in San Francisco yet. I've played lots of places around San Francisco and in, in, in Oakland and, um, mm-hmm. and, and you know up up north and not south. But I haven't actually played a venue venue in inside of the city. So I'm very very excited about that and grateful for um, for Chris Lynch and for Marty O'Reilly for inviting me there. But I've also got some stuff down in Santa Rosa and. Um, and uh, and just other things. So yeah, go to my website, um slash shows and uh, and uh, come find me. Tell us those dates again one more time. Yeah, that's the 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 fifteenth of October is the Marty O'Reilly show at the Independent. Okay, I believe that was coming out of Folk Alliance twenty nineteen in Canada. You started to establish a relationship with a couple of artists out there. Yeah, the Rainbow Girls. Yes, I know yeah. Ashley Fairchild Jones, and you both developed a good relationship with them, and they had you out for a couple of festivals, yeah. and you really were cultivating, I think, quite the audience out there pre-pandemic. Yes. And I know you even had some plans to go out there, I think, like that March of 2020. Mm-hmm. It's exciting to hear yeah. you, you know, continue to grow. How did, Mar- how did he find you? Um, I think it was all all in the same kind of train. So like like my first performance out there, I was invited by the Rainbow Girls to play at a, a, an event that they have annually called May Day, and that is a two day festival that's almost like you know thirty six hours straight of music. But mm. they um, it, but it's but it, the the attendees of the festival are all of their best musical mu- musician friends, yeah, musical friends. And so what you have is just like these audience, this audience rich, full of of um, of people who really love music, and and live performance, and just love each other. Mm-hmm. And um, and so yeah, it was a really it was a really great thing. Uh, they had two stages: one that was outside, kind of facing a field that people were kind of lounging out and, and also camping out in. And then the second stage was like in this like tool shed that cool. um, that at the time that I started playing around two thirty three o'clock in the morning um, was and, and you know pre pandemic was just a cuddle puddle a whole big wet cuddle puddle <laughs> yeah that was Bodega Bay yeah okay that's what I remember seeing yeah. some footage from that it was yeah. like family campfire exactly fun. super intimate and beautiful and like everyone kind of knew each other except for me so I was like. I had I had a late set. I think I was supposed to go in around like eleven or midnight, not you know mm-hmm. three o'clock in the morning. But um, but yeah, it was just really lovely, and so I was kind of like I don't know. I'm, I'm I tend to be kind of a shy person, which is and you know unless there's like a uh, a role for me to play, and so I was like in these like I don't know this really kind of fun hot pink get up and um, with a with a flower crown on my head, and I was. Uh, you know, uh, kind of making you know keeping my distance, and also before before I play, I I tend to be quite um, focused on what I'm trying to do, and I'm always like gathering information about the the audience, about the crowd. I'm thinking about um, you know what is it that they are looking for, what is it that they need, what is it that they're that they're coming from, what is the context in which I am playing, how can I connect to them as individuals and as a group, and so sometimes I can appear to be quite standoffish beforehand. 
before performing because I'm like in work mode and I'm you're focused. And, yeah, I'm getting super focused, but I'm not like I can't just like hang. You know, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not off work. I can't I can't I can't really like go until until I know that I've done my job. That's exciting. Yeah, I think you're there, and then you turn right around and go to Miami. Yes, then I'm playing um, with my friends who are beautiful metalsmiths of 2S Design House. That's uh, um, Christy um, Nelson and Man and Man Nelson and Nan Vuong, um, 2S Designs, and also April Madden. Uh, they've invited me to do um, to perform with them on a yacht like boat show where they're selling their work, and, um, and I'll be performing as as an accompanist for on a yacht oh fantastic is your name Nan is that how you pronounce it Nan oh yeah Christian Nan okay yeah. beautiful work yeah and then from there you're going to Hartford Hartford Connecticut I'm doing a showcase for um, NACA um, the college um, talent uh, conference I guess um, and then I'll be up in the in the northeast for a few days and hopefully I'll, I can secure a couple of performances before um, I have to turn back around and come back to Kansas City so pretty much the second half of October you're out yes even into November <laughs> that'd be an interesting conversation to talk about too that NACA about finding opportunities to perform for basically student unions yeah and basically you go in front of a bunch of I guess talent buyers right yeah stu- kids. students student talent buyers yeah and you basically yeah. show them what you got and if they like you then they'll bring out and Shower yeah. you in praise and, and pay a bunch a, of money. It's a it's a it's a strange thing um, because it's like how do you present yourself? Well, yeah, how do you present yourself to them? Because obviously, it's I think it's always more important to be authentic, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to trying to tailor your act for what you think that they want to see. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when I was in, in college, like I did feel. Um, I did love really deep and like thoughtful cathartic music like thinking like Damien Rice and Joni Mitchell and um, I mean I was listening to a lot of like Christian music at the time too but even that stuff was like really heartfelt and like deep you know or at least it felt deep you know mm-hmm. and um, and so but like my inclination is like okay I need to come and like wear something like really bright and shiny and tell jokes and like whatever's trending on TikTok that week, that week is how I should perform. <laughs> like, no. No. <laughs> because cuz you know you pay a lot of money to be able to showcase in those places. Um, and you and but they also tend to be higher dollar, you know, yeah. contracts. And so um, anyway, so I, I I just I do have to resist the urge to be more marketable um, and and instead to be what I needed at that time, which is who I'm trying to live my life as today, which is somebody who is speaking authentically and living my life authentically and not changing anything, for um, to appear more commercial, which I believe the most commercial thing is vulnerability. Right. I think that you're going to have enough different schools and students represented there. They're looking for some diversity too. Yeah. We had a really great experience uh, with the Black Creatures at K State a couple of weeks ago with their student union. And it was just fascinating to see like what kind of students, what kind of young people were coming out. Yeah. And all the artists were very different on the bill, too. So yeah. wishing you some luck there. I'm going to get Chris involved in just one second. Tell us about the fashion show, though, Summer in Hindsight. Yeah, so we, um, summer of 2020, we decided to um, pivot and make a film version of the fashion show that year. Um, and because it would be a safer um, apparatus to display the fashion show in the form of a film at the drive-in theater. Mm -hmm. And so we spent um, the late part of the summer in 2020 um, masks and socially distanced as possible, um, shooting in 19 locations around Kansas City to to, uh, showcase, I believe it was 
15 uh, fashion designers and their models. I um, was a musical director and the star of that film, and I ended up editing the majority of that film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we we are showing that film again, and it's and the the narrative of that show of that movie is about 2020, <laughs> and like I mean, it was a little bit like uh, you know we we were we were narrating what life was like in real time, or at least what like the month prior to that time was. You know, the, it mm-hmm. was very on the nose. <laughs> um, uh, nothing, nothing that was too far, and I felt that it was going to be, and I believe it will be, a time capsule to this time. A little love letter to ourselves for having endured it and and, and surviving it, um, for for choosing to make something that was beautiful, and documenting what it was like that experience because there's no way to really explain um, to young people who are being born right now what it was like to have encountered this for the first time, what it was mm. like to enter into this new world. Um, that transition was incredibly awkward and painful. Um, was so difficult, so traumatizing, um, and that the only way to manage things like that is is to talk about it. And so we we decided to, to devote an art piece to it, uh, with as the West Eighteenth Street Fashion Show. We are um, doing a screening at Union Station this Thursday, and I believe we're doing it again next Thursday. Again, you can find out more information about that at Union Station's website. Um, but we are doing a screening of the film. Uh, Paragon Honig, um, the creative director of the fashion show, and I both agree that, that we don't really want this film to be um, to be displayed for the first time on a screen, like on on a on a on a, like a computer screen. We, mm-hmm. we we both feel that it's important that this piece is seen on a, on a larger screen because that's what it was designed for. Mm. Um, and so we are not currently looking for you know ways to get into netflix or amazon or anything like that we'd much prefer it to be in a museum or um or places like union station that's great and i know so peregrine honig and then katam jabbar yeah directed the film last year of course beautiful work you just showed it what twice at the drive-in is that right yeah that night Uh uh-huh and then we've done a screening at um at the um kemper albrecht museum in st joe oh that's right i saw that too Mm -hmm. so this will actually be the fourth Showing the fourth Thursday night in this region, we, it's it's been touring festivals. Okay, and we've uh, won we've won seven international awards and been listed from for dozens of others. Love it. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, yeah, which is crazy, but it feels good. Maybe we can get that on the uh, Lemonade Park calendar next season, even too in the spring. I mm-hmm. I wasn't able to go to the drive-in, mm-hmm. and we'll certainly try to get over to Union Station. Well, Calvin, you've got a lot going on in your calendar. I'm sure we could probably spend an hour and a half doing that. <laughs> um, Chris, what's what's cooking for you these days? I feel like uh, I haven't seen well, you in a long time. Yeah, it feels like forever. Um, I don't. Uh, today is Tuesday. Is that right? Yes. Wow, that's amazing. I knew <laughs> Tuesday, twenty first. Um, okay, uh, so Thursday. Uh, I mean, this will be out after that, but uh, Shy Boys and Liam Kazar and Paris Williams at Lemonade Park. That'll be a fun one. Such a great lineup. Uh, then we have, what else we got here? Let me bump into October because that's what we're really looking at. Uh, Brass Tracks on October 2nd. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. At Record Bar. That'll be cool. Um, what else we got Super here? Super funky. Yes, very. Are you going to Lawrence? tomorrow night I, for I am going to Lawrence tomorrow night uh, a friend of mine uh, runs is the front of house engineer for Group Love great 
Uh, so I'm going to that Black Star Kids and Group Love show. And I'm excited to see Black Star Kids because I've never seen them. And yeah. they're just blowing up and they've played like two house shows. Yeah. Uh, well, they're locally. getting out now. <laughs> but they're touring now. They're getting I'm, out now. I don't know how that works. That literally is like the exact opposite way of anybody getting signed to a major label I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Usually you have to like tour hard, do all these things. And it was like, now they just played a couple house shows and... They're rocking. Yeah. <laughs> They're rocking. I love seeing their smiling faces, you know, in front of adoring fans. It's yeah, and and it's doing well. So uh, hats off to them. Uh, Casey, love to them. Um, we have Local H and Radkey on yeah. October 11th. That'll be really fun. Uh, and then another one that I'm looking forward to is Bahamas at <sighs> um, the Truman on the 21st of October. I'm very excited for is that. Is that show still on the calendar? They canceled the, uh, or Dinosaur Jr. canceled. or one Dinosaur or Jr. canceled. Uh, somebody uh, contracted COVID, I believe, and that's why they canceled that. Okay. I, I believe that's what happened. Okay. Um, as far as I know right now, Bahamas is still happening at the Truman. Um, I will say that discussing things with, like, kind of other venues and other promoters and things... Uh, ticket sales are down across the board for mm-hmm. like kind of everything. Like there was that Soul Asylum show, uh, and Local H. I got moved to Record Bar. It was supposed to be at Grinders, okay, uh, and it was like 150 tickets or 200 tickets. Interesting. So there's I I can't, I can't tell if it's just I can't tell if people are scared to go out still, or if it's if it's like us demanding that people have vaccination cards that people are just like, well, I'm not going or I I don't know, but I can tell you that basically for the most part, all of the music industry's ticket sales are down Mm -hmm. from what they normally are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know. I don't know what to equate it to. Yeah. Cause it seemed like we were moving in the right direction. And then I I just don't know. Well, I will say like, you know, we had tickets to Wilco and made the decision to have a refund on yeah. that show. Actually, I was planning to go see Black Star Kids tomorrow night, mm-hmm. but going to go see Calvin instead at Second Presbyterian Church. There and they go. also gave the option for a refund. It was just like, well, if I could spend this higher dollar for an amount of a show indoors, maybe I'd rather just hold on to that cash and be. And I've talked to several people, Calvin, about your show tomorrow night as well on that one. Um, but it's yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely something to monitor. I see Rhino. Rhino just announced today they're requiring vaccinations. Mm-hmm. And this is our podcast. I guess I can say what I want to say. I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like venues are on the pretty much the cutting edge and setting the the standard that you know we're going to make sure our staff is safe. We're going to make sure our artists are safe. And if we have to take some short term losses to have long term gains that we haven't had in a year and a half or a life. Yeah. Thanks, Calvin. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it's just it's just been I know a nightmare for venue owners, promoters, bookers, rescheduling things. Well, the thing the tonight. thing that's the thing that's the bigger problem is you're talking about the short term losses. Mm-hmm. Most of these venues cannot take short term losses. Right. Oh, I hear. It you. just can't happen. So it's like there's where everyone is like threading this needle of trying to make sure everybody is safe and good and making sure that we don't have there's no not going to be any shut down or cap restrictions or anything like that again got you um because everybody's vaccinated we're good right but Mm -hmm. um i guess people just don't understand that still for some reason right um 
It's very weird. It's history repeating itself. This happened with smallpox. This happened with a bunch of things. But this is how America works. We always just do the same things again and like, oh, wow, this is, this people, this is insane. It's like, yeah, this happened 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Like, it's just, we just constantly live in the cycle of doing the same shit over and over. It's like, hey, anybody want to break this cycle anytime soon? Yeah. That'd be super. I think that's why Calvin wrote a book. <laughs> Um, so I'll just add to real quickly. Um, yeah, we're super excited to have Calvin tomorrow at Second Presbyterian. We have a couple other performances there. We were thrilled to see Peter Schlam last week. I mean, that they're just getting some phenomenal musicians there. Lauren Crum and Mike Stover there Sunday. We have a big event with them at Art on Oak with the Black Creatures and Keon Keon Byrne in October. Um, Love Keon. I'm planning to see Shy Boys and Liam on Thursday as well. The Plaza Art Fairs this weekend is just oh, chock full of incredible artists all three days. Chris Aguirre is doing a great job. Continue to partner so. with um, Raj Mahal. Excited. Calvin, you've been out there I sure a have. couple times. Yep. Aren't you doing something on a boat? I sure am. Not the yacht. No. A, a river boat. A different, different kind of boat. <laughs> Is it a nautical, nautical theme for you? I love to be by the water. Okay. I haven't um, even seen anything about, about the art fair, so now I have to look at the... Oh, it's great. The schedule. Yep. Black Creatures are Friday. Olivia Fox is at night. Lily Boom Moon. I mean, just go ch- check out their website. They've yeah. got all sorts of great things. I did want to say next week we're starting a new venture with um, Deva Audio. And basically it's a high-end listening um, audio equipment store, a little bit out south. And so they've invited artists to come in and talk about some songs from their record, uh, do a little Q&A with the audience, and then listen to their songs on just an unbelievably incredible acoustically sounding system. And we're starting next week um, on the 29th with Passering Dream, Dave Tanner's project. Absolutely love that record. Um, We've talked to several other artists about doing it, and so far everyone seems like it's a really great idea. Hint, hint, Calvin. Um, Because they have both your records out there. And we're just excited to see, you know, where we can go. It's, it's got to be masked, 25 people only, um, a lot of space in there. We feel like it'll be a nice, you know, exclusive, intimate affair and get an, give an audience a chance to really connect with an artist and vice versa. Yeah, allow an artist to talk a little bit about what inspired the songs or the creative process or I don't know why they had an open tuning on that last song. Um, and then maybe just two more things. Truce to Palooza is the first weekend in October. There's an incredible lineup there. Um, Katie's got an incredible event for you if you want to check that out as well. And I think I'll probably stop talking there. I will say, everybody, check out Bahamas. I, we got to see them. My wife and I got to see them open for uh, Calexico a few years ago, and we're just completely blown away by his songwriting and his, his backup singers were like, I feel like I was with yeah. Olivia Newton-John back in the 70s. He, it was just so lovely. It's incredible. Like, if you look at, like, his stuff early on, it's, like, kind of folky. Yeah. And then, uh, starting with Earth Tones, mm-hmm. he basically reached out to the Vanguard, which is D'Angelo's backing band. It was like, how... I. I want it to sound like that. Yeah. And so it got I a lot funkier, that and that's my favorite one. He's from Canada? Yes. He's Canadian. Yeah. Okay. All good things come from Canada.
Welcome back to Center Cuts. We are happy to be here today with Calvin Arsenia, author, artist, songwriter. The list would go on for a while. Uh, Calvin, as you know, we try just to talk a little bit about our guest life. And again, usually, as I mentioned, our guests are coming from someplace in the industry, whether it's another label owner, someone that works at a venue, record store owner, et cetera, et cetera. And I've, I've heard your story a few times, um, but it'd be interesting to get some of that on tape. You're not originally from Kansas City. Your family had moved around a little bit before settling here. That's true. You were like seven or eight coming to Kansas City? So I like to say that um, I was born in Orlando, Florida. Um, my parents are from rural central Virginia, which is where we moved to for a couple of years um, when I was young. And then we went back to Florida. And then we moved to um, back to Virginia. Sorry, this is like the boring part. Uh, <laughs> no, it's good. Was, was, yeah, just limited the years. So we went back to Virginia. Um, and, then, and then I like to say that we survived Y2K and then moved to Kansas City. So it was the year 2000 um, and I was 10 years old. 10 years old. Yeah. Okay. Your father's family was from Virginia? Both of them. The Both grandmother that you write about? From, yeah. Okay. Everybody's from Virginia. Okay, understood. Okay. So... Basically, my family dates back, and it was something I did last year. My family dates back to the early 1700s in, in Virginia. So I'm about as American as it gets. Gotcha. Um, been here for a while. Okay. What brought, I'm assuming, job opportunities brought your family to Olathe? Yeah, so Sprint um, transferred my mother's my mother's job from uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, to Overland Park, Kansas. Okay. And um, and they helped us move here. So, um, yeah, it was like that that campus was, was was booming at the time, and so they were bringing people from around the around the country to, to work there. I don't think I've asked you before. Had they been out here before? Did they come my out mom like scouting? Been, my mom had been for, for, for work things. Uh, they probably had conferences and things that they had to do. Um, but but we, the kids, we had never been. Okay. I mean, people like to talk about the South as if it's some faraway place from Missouri. But actually, especially the last few years, I've really started <laughs> to see a very little difference. <laughs> Maybe than other geographically. Well, I think, I don't know. I feel that the country... Um, is more divided b- by urban and and suburban and rural than it mm-hmm. is uh, regions. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's definitely like like weather things that different parts of the country have to deal with, but but when we're speaking culturally, that it's probably like you know how close are you to downtown, is is more mm-hmm. like like the sliding scale of yeah. um, of culture. Okay, so you were ten. You've got brothers on both sides of you. Yeah. My older brother is uh, seven years older, and my younger brother is six years younger. Okay. So it was kind of like growing up with ki- with cousins who shared the same parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. Um, I'm sure people have asked you before too, but you've got musical roots in your family. Was that around you as a child? Yeah. Uh, my, my, both my parents really love music, and, and my older brother slash cousin. Uh, anyway, uh, no. Uh, he, he also, like, was really, in, you know, really influential in my life as, as somebody, you know, and I just, he just listened to the radio a lot, and, like, you know, th- those are the times where, where you would uh, record tapes when you could hear the song coming on next. You those know, times? You, yeah. You record the tape on mm-hmm. your little tape deck so you can, like, listen to it as many times as you want. So cool and, like, high-tech. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Did my, you listen to... Sorry to interrupt. Did you listen to regular radio? For some uh, reason, I have this thought of you being exposed to 
non-religious music. <laughs> yeah. So when I was when I was quite small, thinking about the times in Florida, um, my mom was really into gospel music. Um, my dad really loves like slow jams, seventies um, Motown and, and slow jams. Thinking like the Isley Brothers and mm. and, um, and Luther Vandross and like that kind of stuff. My brother was really into Neo Soul, and so he was listening to, like, um, Casey and Jojo, Jodeci. Nice. Um, you know, like, nice. uh, D'Angelo, Lauren Hill, Erica Badu, CeeLo, like, so, like, there's, like, uh, yeah, the Atlanta thing that was happening at the time, and the Richmond yeah. thing that was happening, Missy Elliott, Timberland, um, you know, kind of way more East Coast Atlanta uh, influences. Um, and then... Um, then I grew up kind of, then when we moved to Kansas City, I was really involved in churches and, and I was listening to a lot of contemporary worship music, which was like based in acoustic guitar. I picked up an acoustic guitar and started learning how to play that so that I could lead worship at these like different things, services that I was a part of um, on a weekly basis. And so there was like this like Christian folk music thing that I was a part of at that time. And eventually I was involved in a lot of choirs and really fell in love with, with classical choir music and choral arrangements of things. And that got me into the classical voice world. I studied classical voice when I was in uh, Johnson County Community College for a couple of years while I was studying also to be an audio engineer, which I have a certificate in. Um, and But I just fell in love with opera and like singing, singing classical music and how free the voice is when you have like set it up and, and, and trained it this way. Um, and, and then it was also around that time that I really got into alternative music, became super excited about Bjork's uh, discography, um, and fell in love with Joanna Newsom and kind of like some freak folk subsidiary things like Coco Rosie and... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, You're like 16 at this time? 18? This is, this is 18, 19, 20. Okay. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I've always just really loved people who, who owned their space, like, whatever it is. And I, I had friends, my, my friends were super involved in, like, loving, like, more hardcore, punk, rock, like, heavy metal stuff, which I didn't really understand until I got to go see some shows live, and I was like, oh, okay, I see it now. They're at the edge of every extreme, like, yeah. uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and like that is what we're doing here. You know, I was like, this is not meant to be beautiful. You know, um, but so yeah, I, I have deep appreciation for 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 all kinds of art as long as the person who is delivering it feels feels the love of it, and I can feel that. You know, sounds like typical teenager exposure from a yeah. lot of different sources. Are you trying to say that in order to lead the group, you had to be an instrumentalist? To be to pick a up guitar is that what caused you to pick up the guitar? Yeah, I don't think I knew that. I have a quick question about that too. What uh, denomination was it? All or of them. non-denominational? <laughs> is that what it was? I mean, I was a, I was a part of non non-denominational churches, okay. but I also was a part of Southern Baptist and yeah. more charismatic churches. Mm-hmm. I was involved in a, in a in a group called the International House of Prayer for a while, Ooh, which is a very uh-huh. extreme, uh, some would say, cult. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and some I, some would say that. Yeah. Well, and I and yeah. I do think that there are levels there too. Yeah. Not everything yeah. is, is just like black and white and. I feel like there are people who are a part of that who are innocent of every anything, yeah, you know, for sure. Um, and so, you know, from from having been in it and out of it, um, I just know that there's a, there's a lot of nuance. There <laughs> in the is, world. yeah. I I'm always fascinated, especially when people say they came from music and churches and things like that, because yeah. my family was 
that that I went to church with in St. Louis was Greek Orthodox. Mm-hmm. And that whole liturgy is sung, it's like from the before time, the long, long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really beautiful. Uh, I don't think anything's just spoken, everything's sung. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I've noticed like when I started seeing stuff at non-denominational churches, they like have like a full band and yeah, things like, like that. that. And then I worked, speaking of IHOP, I, used, I worked uh, security for their... Um, New Year's events. One thing. At the one thing. Well, yes. then that's how I got recruited. Oh, really? It was a one thing event? <laughs> yeah. uh, 2016. So, yeah, I went, I would work those, uh, and they were very long days walking around the, the Kansas City Convention Center. Um, I kind of learned a lot of, like, that side of uh, Christianity, I guess you would mm-hmm. call it. But, um, yeah, it's just wild. Like, they would have, like, dance areas which I found weird for um, like they would, they would just have like a whole section where people would dance and exercise their demons or whatever they're doing, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, to the, to the phrase music. Um, it was, uh, it was like kind of like eye opening. I was like, what is going on here? This is totally different from anything I've ever been exposed to on that side. I have not had that experience. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly aware of that particular organization. Yeah. Let's all right. So, it was a conscious decision. I'm going to play guitar so I can do this to have that role. Yeah. I mean, I was already a singer and I think I kind of either, either, you know, very like, so here's, here's really what happened. My friend, I was already kind of dabbling in, in guitar, uh, sorry, in piano. I really hated the acoustic guitar because I thought it, it was country music. Like, and, and this is like 12, 13 years old. So mm-hmm. I thought that everything like with acoustic guitar was related to country music and country music was white music. And like my parents and my family, like not my parents, more of my brother, like was like, I don't like anything country. And like, this is a thing that I would, that I would say at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine who was in my choir uh, got an acoustic guitar because she loved country music uh, and her, da- her dad got her one for Christmas. By the time that, that the end of February came around, she had already given up on learning how to play herself, but she knew that I was a quick learner, so she let, lent it to me to learn how to play so that I would eventually teach her. And mm. I had the guitar for two years, and I never taught her. Um, <laughs> never gave it back. <laughs> I, did get, I eventually gave it back, and then I borrowed somebody else's because my parents just, I don't know, they, they, they couldn't figure out how to get me one themselves. And so then I eventually had a friend, like, you know, he was like, give me all your quarters, and, we'll, and I'll pay for the rest of it. Mm. And he took me to Funky Monkey Music off of Shelly Mission Parkway. Oh, yeah. And, um, and, and I bought, you know, he bought me my first guitar and, um, and, and then I, and then I was playing all the time, but yeah, it was definitely like, and, and I've been realizing more in the past, maybe even six months that like music in my life has been such a survival mechanism because where I would have felt, um, out of place or that, I, or that I would have felt more targeted by certain situations in particular altar calls that I was like always a part of. Or, um, or you know, just navigating navigating this world. I have been on stage like several times a week since I was twelve years old, mm. and and I don't know who, I don't want to know who I would be had I not had that experience. I was definitely sheltered, um, not only by the church and not only by white America, but also by the stage. Mm. And I think that the stage was my um, was my was my own like you know I was in charge of that space well, you know when you're the worship leader you get to decide what songs are being done and how how you carry yourself and and when you're a songwriter the same as the, you know the same as there like like I'm, I was picking the songs I was writing my songs I was picking my band and then and then the whole system is like 
when you're done, everyone claps. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and and especially in the Midwest, where it's like Midwest nice, you know, like people will clap for anything. I mean, you know what? You know, granted, whatever. But like, but but I've just noticed that that those experiences, that experience of being somebody who's been literally on stage at least once a week up until <laughs> March of 2020 uh, for for over, you know, almost two decades is like that that, that will have a psychological effect on a human. <laughs> right. Do you feel like the guitar or the instrument or the stage was like a shield or like a, oh, like a, a fortress? A, totally a fortress. A weapon or... Absolutely know. a fortress. I mean, again, like, like, like you know, when, when you're in a church and you're somebody who's struggling with homosexuality, this is language that I would have used at the time, if you're somebody who is quote-unquote struggling with, with homosexuality or, or any kind of thing that would be deemed inappropriate by the church, you, you, you are guilted and baited to, to, to make a physical or like a, you know, decisions and things that people can see as you are repenting of those things. Mm. And, and I think that because I was usually the person who was behind the pastor on the stage playing the piano to, 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 to make that moment feel special or whatever, mm-hmm. that, that I never had to respond to those altar calls. And I didn't really have to deal with that guilt in the same way that that I ha- that I would have had to deal with it if I was in the audience still. Did you feel that already? Guilt? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. What the heck is an yeah. altar call? Sorry, you oh, said yeah, that twice sure. now. So an altar call is when at the end of a message or the the, the sermon, okay, the, the the preachers, you know, there's there's music at the beginning. Everyone is lifting their hands and worshiping God, and then there's like you know tears and all this craziness. <laughs> then they then they pass the bucket, so you put money in it, okay. and then the pastor comes out and uh, you know tells teaches the, the Bible. Um, and and you know, give, hopefully giving you practical application to live a, a good, healthy, even balanced life, which is rarely happening. Um, and then um, and then if they then they talk about Jesus and how he came to sacrifice um, his life for the sins of the world, and that um, if you don't believe in Jesus or confess with your mouth that that he uh, is cleansing you from your sins, then you will spend an eternity in hell. And if you don't want to spend an eternity in hell, then you need to respond to this altar call and so he will walk the whole audience through a, a prayer um, that people can say at their seats then after they have said it at their seats uh, he will invite everyone who who said that for the first time or is rededicating their life to Jesus to come to the altar to the front of the room to the stage and uh, and receive prayer as a way for to uh, confirm it in their own hearts, but also to like get social pressure to 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 follow through on this decision that they've made, mm-hmm. right? So everyone has to witness them going up. They have to like have the courage to do so, and there's almost like this like yeah, this like bandwagon social pressure yeah. that they've like put themselves into to continue on with this with this commitment. So it's almost like confession, but in front of everybody. Everybody. And you have to say the thing, or no, you, you don't can have, just oh, okay. You don't have to, say, yeah. But, but, That's scary but also, <laughs> doesn't that? I feel like the spotlight would be even more on me if I didn't go up there, because basically what I'm saying is. I'm no, but there's you know, there's hundreds of people. No, no, it's not, it's not about sin. It's about like if you're accepting the, like the grace of God. So if you're already a believer, if you're already like doing everything right, or okay. quote unquote, then you not you don't move. Okay. It's just that if if you ha- if you're if you're a non-believer and you're becoming a believer, this is what the, Understood. Like, the this is what the the process looks like. Well, fascinating. I so mean, this is how you get indoctrinated into, in, or like you know, you're you're showing your commitment to the group by go- going up to the front. Okay. 
But if you but if you're already in, involved in the ministries or you've been a, a churchgoer for a long time, like you're assumed that that, that you've already already done this step. No one's it's, keeping tabs. Like never seen you up here. No, because you might have come from another church community. You, done, okay. you did it somewhere. Okay. <laughs> do they do they do they don't do communion at non denominational? They, they do. They, they do? I think okay. they. Non-denominational ones, yeah. they just, they're just not attached to a, the same calendar. Like like right. Catholic churches preach the same message at every church around the world every Sunday. Like they're all on the same calendar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Non-denomin- non-denominational churches, they just teach Kinda, whatever they want. Yeah. Okay. And they make up their own calendars. And so, um, yeah, we would do communion at some of the churches like once a month. Hmm. Yeah. Let's let's just talk a little bit more on music. Okay. Like we're no, hey, guys, it's a lot of religion. Cr- yeah. Calvin, look, Chris and I will listen all day. Kind of, like, we'll run our mouths all day. Moving from the guitar, were you writing songs then? Are you playing like traditional songs or? So it was like contemporary folk Christian. So we're talking Waterdeep. We're talking Chris Tomlin. We're talking uh, Hillsong. Eventually, was a church um, mega church based in. Um, in Australia, that you know, stuff got around uh, Michael W. Smith, the Newsboys, DC Talk, like uh, so. There's all these you know songwriters and people who were, were popular in the Christian uh, music realm. Uh, but then I was also writing my own stuff too. Um, not not a ton of stuff, but I wrote some songs at the time, and I was writing kind of my own secret songs, that things I would never share with people. Also, um, I was always a songwriter, singing to myself and humming melodies and making things that shouldn't be into songs into songs. And um, but I didn't really have a context for that because, like, when you're in the church, it's like all glory goes to God. Yep. And and like, and if there's anything that makes you like bigger yourself or like. Um, yeah, that, that, that it's a, it's a, it's inappropriate. And mm-hmm. It's uh, it's frivolous. It's um, it's not a worthy path to be on. All the other artists you mentioned, though, were successful, whether monetarily or not, and they, yeah, and they made the career of being like God's bigger than me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, mm. And, and I think Michael W. Smith and there's an Amy something. Amy Grant. It. Amy Grant. Yep, that's her. They kind of also. And DC talk a little bit too. They almost like broke out of crossed over. They crossed yeah. over from the religious realm too to like songs that you're like, oh, this is sort of about God, but well, maybe it's not. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like uh, they kind of crossed over. I'm sure that, that was a bit. tough line. And like Switchfoot, yeah. you know, like okay. you know, that's another example. Like Reliant K. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you have any formal training on the guitar? No, 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 no. no. Voice just, training that happened later. Okay. Yeah. And then piano. When you said you were kind of <laughs> weaving that in and out. Yeah. So like, I mean, my mom always had a piano at the house, but there was eventually a time where the piano that we had at the house was like really, really, really bad, um, super out of tune and like just like hard to play and all these things. And so, um, my neighbor was getting rid of his piano. This is like us twelve years old probably. And or they were, you know, they were getting rid of their piano and they were and opting for a keyboard instead. And I rolled their piano down to my house on the sidewalk and put it in my garage because there's nowhere to put it inside. And um, wait a minute, I, wait a minute, you rolled their piano to your house? Yes, <laughs> it's a big piano, right? I mean, it was a, it was an upright. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I just felt like they were gonna like they were gonna like leave it on the street. I was like, no. You can't I hear you. That. I don't know if I had the strength to move it myself. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was on wheels. I get it. Yeah. Okay. So, and it was downhill. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uphill in the snow, five miles. No, downhill, one house down. Okay. Uh, so it was fine. Um, but yeah, no, I just really wanted to play. And so um, I was involved in the church choir at, at First Family Church, which is a mega church that I was a part of at the time as well. I was in, I was in the adult choir singing soprano and alto. And um, one of the, the lovely church ladies um, saw that I had talent on the piano because I'd played before rehearsals. 
and um, just, you know, playing around, making stuff up. And she wanted to invest in me and, and, and teach me how to play. Uh, she lived in Independence. The church was in Overland Park. We lived in Olathe. She drove 45 minutes to teach me piano for free uh, for for a year. And um, But unfortunately, I didn't ever learn how to read music at that time. Um, so she, I would kind of convince her to play me sections of the piece, and then and then I would repeat them back to her sure. without knowing how to actually read the, the, the sheet. Um, she drove in from Independence. Yes. Wow. She but she was a member of your church. Yes. Okay. Okay. Were your parents? It doesn't like they were pushing you towards music. Were they supportive, no. encouraging? I mean, they. My parents are have been a little bit. Uh, just not that engaged. They're not stage parents. They're not mm-hmm. like, um, you know. I think that I don't know. They they've always told me to just be the best at whatever I'm trying to do, but they weren't really involved in any of that for mm-hmm. me. Um, they encouraged me, and they and like, they they uh, when I asked for specific things that they would they would they would try. You know, like when I sang my first solo uh, for um, <laughs> for a wedding, I was twelve. Mm. Um, and I sang uh, the prayer by Andre Bocelli, also done by um, you know Celine Dion and, and Josh Groban and Charlotte Church. It's a pretty popular song for weddings, but it was an Italian, and so my mom helped me find an Italian speaker here in Kansas City that I could go over mm. the language with. And I was you know twelve years old trying to sing the song perfectly mm. um, in, in Italian, and I did it, and I learned it, and um, and I sang with a person who had you know gone to who was an adult female singer mm-hmm. who had gone you know to to the school for this and so it was it was an amazing experience to be to be trusted with that as a young person but you know my parents you know did help facilitate these kinds of things but it wasn't like a constant like oh you have to practice you know like this has always been a little bit of my, you know my own my own journey this jacket don't keep me warm no this jacket don't keep me warm it's nothing like your arms no but it's not like you used to do Jacket don't keep me warm. That's what summer was for. But the fall came, then the fall came, then it all came down. All came crashing down. I've been cold since you've been found. I've been low since you in the ground. I've been trying to hold on to the pieces you left me. But I'm still hung up on why you wouldn't let me in. Just take the time to call, I will catch you for me. Two more questions. As long as I've known you, have been always blown away by your instrumental skills. I mean, I joked about it the other day on the Mix Master. You had a wall of instruments, <laughs> all stringed, right? Yeah. And I've played the piano. When do you feel like you discovered you had a a special voice was there a conscious decision to have some training from that was it people telling you constantly you're unreal vocally or um I don't know um I still don't think of myself that as much of an instrumentalist I, I think it's something that I'm growing into still and as a vocalist I, I mean I always kind of had a range um, but people would just 
cry <laughs> i don't know like tears of joy right yeah i mean they would you know people would kept asking me to show back up and i just like I, I there's really no way to to like experience that as the person who's causing it you know you feel like it's like you're witnessing it just like everybody else is in some ways mm-hmm. um but was that a conscious decision to take lessons there where maybe you had it with other instruments um i think because um you know, I here's here's what it is. I think the competition was probably less. If I'm going to be real frank, mm. um, there aren't a lot of male vocalists who really try to study the art of singing, mm. um, as opposed to women who do the same. Mm. And at the time that where I could really devote myself to some study, which was during college, um, you know, there are already child prodigies that play everything better than you <laughs> so like and like i don't know i just kind of felt like i'm not going to catch up to them you know like I'm, there's nothing that i can do to do that to do that this is going to be an ongoing lifelong journey of me like getting a little bit better each year hopefully um but as a vocalist i already felt very comfortable there and i was already doing things that 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 most men my age or my skill level were not able to do and so um i think that's why probably i, I chose the voice as my main focus interesting Interesting. And then the last one on that end is writing. We've always been attracted to your lyrics. I think about um, Catastrophe, the first real release that I really dug into. I got into your EPs later. One of of my joys was, you know, having you submit the lyrics for LA Sessions and then Cantaloupe. I realized we released them opposite. But Mm -hmm really considering your word choices, were you a writer when you were younger? Not, Not musically either. Yeah. I mean, I remember being quite young, and this is kind of a funny thought, but I was really obsessed with Marvel comics. Oh, yeah. And um, particularly the X-Men. Because um, they're freaks. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, they're like... my favorite. They're shunned by the community yeah, and like all these right. things. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you know, Stan Lee did design them to be, to be about uh, cultural diversity and, and yes. about, like, the original... Well, not the original, but... Oh, what's it called? Um, just, like, civil, civil rights, um, yeah. civil rights movement. Um, and um, and so I don't I really don't think of myself as a writer to this day um, although my, my my resume would say otherwise your publisher um, would disagree <laughs> <laughs> and so would my label um, uh, but uh, I don't know I do have a love of language and I think maybe that comes from um, you know just hearing really great speeches or really great literature you know I'm not really a reader like like people who are readers are readers you know I'm not really that kind of a reader but like I love beautiful conversation I love great banter and like television series um, I love great movies and plays um, and and there's just so much you can do with a phrase um, and, and, and that's always seemed to be my favorite um, my favorite way to to uh, to leave an impact um my, the, like a, it's, a, it's a weapon you know and it's a it's a sword um it's but, fun but i did i did fail uh creative writing in college it was the only class i failed um <laughs> and uh and i i was just too embarrassed to turn in work um so i didn't turn anything in that, in that class but i learned a lot not the writing itself just not yeah. wanting to fulfill the assignment well I, yeah the fulfillment part of like giving it to them because i was just really embarrassed by it all okay interesting about comics did you draw I did, and I know you do. Yeah, but were you putting words? That's one thing I yeah, would so, talk to so our I, I wrote about. some like small, like kind of short stories, like back back in the day. You know. Okay. But like, yeah, it's been it's been kind of I guess a theme. Yeah. 
Okay. I think, again, one of our very first meetings with you uh, when we met with Marion Merritt and Mark Manning at Ape, I think you'd. I think Jim had brought the deluxe edition of Catastrophe that Chris mm-hmm. Dong helped yeah. you design, yes. which is just freaking incredible, Chris. It's all 3D and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I know in the back of Jim's head right there, he yeah. was like, this guy needs to do something like this for us right. <laughs> so we can make a million dollars. However many million dollars Jim had in his mind. But I just wonder, you know, too, is that something that you enjoyed doing just a phrase here, a couple of words there, just playing with language, I yeah, think, as a yeah. younger person, which led into lyrics, which yeah. led into poetry, yeah. which led into longer writing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I have a quick question because we didn't get there yet. How did you go from piano, guitar to harp? How did that, <laughs> where did that come in there? And this is the perfect, that was my next segue. Yeah. Uh, perfect, Chris. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, um, yeah, thinking back to when I first started doing shows, it was 2000. Nine, um, I was still involved in the church. I was playing acoustic guitar. I was looking to showcase my own music more. I'd already recorded a couple of EPs, I think. Um, I started recording EPs with my brother's computer when he was away, uh, like at work or something. And like there was just the the, the mic on the top of the of the monitor, the screen, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I would just like get really close and sing really soft and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and do harmonies and stack harmonies this way. Um, that was like 16. So then fast forward a few years, I, ha- I had, you know, written a few songs I wanted to put out. And at that time, I was doing what I kind of do now. I was like, I, I, was, I, I booked the show first and I was like, okay, I got to get to the studio uh, and make it. <laughs> and the idea was always to like have, um, the, the idea of the belief was to have like a, a souvenir of the evening, which was the music. And so um, I would record, I would record EPs for the, doing, doing the set list that I planned to do for the show. And, um, and so that it was that music that the people were taking with them. And so my first show was was a Good Friday, I believe, two thousand nine. I was nineteen years old. I had like a Wurlitzer player, a few singers, myself, and I think that was it for that show. And I had designed this like topiary backdrop out of like fabric and wood and cement and. Have some you heard this story, Chris? No. And <laughs> hey, for our listeners, topiary. Yeah. <laughs> Translate, please. Because <laughs> I had to freaking look that up. That's funny. Um, so it's like you know the 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 the. Um, the plants that people have in really beautiful gardens that are shaped like things and so you'll have like the three balls stacked on top of each other okay. or like animals made out of bushes right so it was like that kind of like idea but the instead of flowers growing on these box-shaped topiary sculptures it was my paintings and so i had illustrated each of the songs that i was going to do for that night as well and then had the the music and the recording around this time i decided that <laughs> phenomenal <I> <laughs> We, we heard that a long time ago like what were you doing sorry to interrupt so so around that same version of myself I decided that I wanted to have a harpist play with me of course um, and uh, so I went on a hunt around Kansas City to find a young person who was you know uh, spry excited wanted to learn some new things um, played the harp uh, well enough to kind of just jump in and not require too much rehearsal and also to be able to do all of those things for free and um, <laughs> obviously I didn't find them but I did meet some beautiful harpists who gave me the courage to learn myself and I found a harp uh, studio in Lenexa another suburb, suburb of here in Kansas City who had harps that were available to rent I rented uh, harps from her but I couldn't afford to rent the harp and to take lessons um, because I was just I didn't I couldn't afford it yet so um, I took the harp away for a year and 
um, and at the time there was there was uh, YouTube tutorials available, so I I studied on YouTube for the first year. Then I had to within that year decided that I was going to be moving to Scotland, returned the harp, moved to Scotland, and within like two or three weeks, just felt the bug, the itch. I needed to touch a harp, and um, I'm not complete without it. And I bought one that was a pretty crappy model, you know, like Walmart equivalent of, of Do of they harp. make those? Yeah, they do. Wow. And they don't last very long. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I got that, and um, we didn't have a case for it, so I would just walk around Scotland uh, on the buses and, and everywhere playing playing my harp um, and just carrying it, and then I eventually went to another one and took lessons when I was living there. Um but I remember one one time in particular with that really crappy harp that I was sitting on um, on a marina, and um, my friends had gone to the shops nearby, and I didn't really want anything, and I probably couldn't afford anything if I didn't want it. And I was sitting on this like stone wall with my back where the where the boats were, and it was a very beautiful sunny day, um, and a, a gust of wind came through the harp strings, and and I heard them sing back to me without me playing them. It was just like imagine like tiny tiny feather like like violin bows plucking or like bowing across each string it was like a very magical sound very magical experience and it was like oh, this whir this hum this buzz uh happening on my chest and and and, and, and on my legs and, and just feeling this 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 instrument come alive and speak to me and i was like wow i will do whatever you want <laughs> um and you know normally harpists don't play harp outside because they're it's a it's just not the ideal situation because of the wind primarily I would say but also because like they're just really fragile instruments and so um, so I don't think most harpists have heard this sound but I heard that sound and it was like you know the ancient winds calling me and um, and I felt I feel like I've been an enlisted um, agent of the harp ever since in Scotland no less too. Yeah. I, I've always had that image of you too, Calvin, just traipsing around Europe with a freaking harp slung <laughs> yeah. on your back or whatever. But let me ask you this, and maybe I'm inferring too much here. Do you feel like that connection with the harp, I don't want to say released you from your devotion to God. Mm. You were there on a... As a missionary, okay. yeah. Okay. You heard that voice. Yeah and said it's okay to have this feeling yeah. and I'm not disrespecting any higher power yeah. this is what's calling and actually physically touching you yeah. Yeah. and I'm going to do what this. I got to do to have yeah. more of this yeah yeah. I mean for sure I mean there's I don't know if I if I ever thought of them as, as like uh, at odds to each other mm -hmm. because the harp is, is such an angelic you know the, the connotation around it is such a you know about angels and, 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 and heaven but it, but so that is a very interesting juxtaposition. I will say that it was in my time in Scotland. It was my first time being friends, close friends with non Christians, mm. and um, because my church community there was probably fifteen people, mm -hmm. and the the point of that mission was not to be bringing people to our church gatherings, but instead for us to bring the spirit of God to bring blessings to the world in which we lived in naturally, and so. Mm -hmm. Which was this idea? It's called missional living. Um, there are books about this, but rather than trying to just like have more butts and seats, that we wanted to be people who were, you know, quote unquote, fully alive and ignited mm -hmm. to go and and bring the kingdom, bring kingdom mind mindsets, which is like you know, serving the poor and, and being selfless and all these things that are actually beautiful things. 
um, bringing those to, to communities that would not normally be experiencing those things like open mic nights in the bars of Edinburgh yeah um, and I did that and I, and I was a part of that and it was a beautiful thing and one of the things I also really felt like is like how can I have real intimate relationships with these people if I'm not able to be real and intimate with them first mm -hmm. how can I expect them to open up and share deep secrets about themselves or like desires or dreams or whatever how can we heal together if, if I'm not first you know saying this is what my reality is actually like yeah. and so I began to be very candid with them I'm here on a mission as a missionary um, and and I and I'm gay and I don't know what it's going to be like if I ever have to go back home please help mm -hmm. me yeah <laughs> <laughs> you were human <laughs> exactly you were being human I, and, I, and I was not able to address that when I was living here beforehand yeah and when I came back here that was a big fear that I was going to have to go back into the shell of a person that I was before and um, and luckily that's not what happened and I know you've talked about sacred and sacrilege I'm not suggesting that again religion or believing in a higher power and music can't be you know they have to be at odds with each other sure. but uh, what what? How old are you? I mean, what year did you come back? Let's rephrase that. Yeah, I was twenty two. Twenty two. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right? No, 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 no. I was twenty four. I moved there when I was twenty two. I was twenty four when I moved back. I moved back in two thousand fourteen. I mean, that's a natural time for exploration too, right? So yeah. it's the first time you're really away from your family, yeah. away from people. You can let your hair down, literally, in your yeah. case, a little bit. Yes. <laughs> and you know, question some things. Yeah. I, right. I I just want to say that you are like incredibly intelligent about Christianity, and I feel like people that are like, and maybe that's because you can you're now like step back away from it and can like look back on it, but like I don't think most Christians can speak as eloquently as you can about like the purpose and the you know like all of the steps of it. Oh, I know. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it is like uh, it's. It's been awesome talking to you. Well, about cheers, it. thanks. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had a lot of practice with my podcast. We were Christian kids. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, talking at nauseum about what what that experience was like, living in it and through it, and also hearing other people's experiences of it. Um, you know, I, I would love to see great changes happen in the church, and I think that that they would want that too if they knew the impact that they're having on people who are who are negatively affected by their ministries. But unfortunately, the people who are neg negatively affected from ministries typically don't associate with those ministries anymore. So there's mm -hmm. no like yep. feedback. Um, those people just get lost. Um, but aren't you finding that there are a lot of people out there, a good number of people who aren't necessarily lost? They just were disenchanted or disenfranchised or felt like they couldn't be themselves. Well, I mean, they were lost to the church community. Mm -hmm. I remember being inside of the church and seeing people, you know, for whatever reason, not want to be part of it anymore. And they vanished oh. to me. Okay. Right. And now I'm the guy who vanished <laughs> to thousands of others. Understood. Um, and they're looking at me and, and cringing at everything that I'm doing right now. I, I, I know that. This, again, this is a great place to transition here. I think we could talk about your artistic career again at length. Mm -hmm. When we met you really in 2017, and you know the performance where I, I saw you at Peregrine, Honig's Greenwood Social Hall, it's it's just been lift off since then, Calvin. As far as again where you've gone musically, career wise, and we're super happy and super proud of you for releasing not only Cantaloupe with Jay Ashley Miller and with Simon, your producers, reworking that into Honeydew, mm -hmm. working with just a stellar group of artists on LA sessions, yeah. and to where you continue to go. Um, we love you, Calvin, and I think that this past year and a half has been very tough on a lot of people. Thank you.
I was alright, I was alright, I was just fine. It was a night, it was a night in the half life. Let's talk about this book. And I think that it's another way you're, you're so talented and we're not fawning over here either. Just so you all know, <laughs> you're so thoughtful and considerate. It's, it's really just another way to share you and your art through another medium, right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about just what led to that decision? Cause I kind of think the podcast goes kind of because of the same time yeah. period, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, Jim Andrews, um, just suggested that I that I consider writing a book. Um, I think he pestered you. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Numerous times. Sorry, Jim. Under the bus, brother. Well, good for him. You know it, what? It, 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 it continued for years, um, and uh, and then eventually I I just kept saying you know I had a meeting with some of the people there, and I kept saying I would submit pages, and 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 what I did actually. And I don't know if anybody knows this, but what I did is I found just like the most like raw, raunchy writings, in the, which is a lot of things that I had from like notes or journal, journal entries, but like notes on my cell phone that I just keep because I like to, I just collect, you know, words that bounce in my head. I just put them in my phone. So that, that, that happens in voice memos, that happens in, 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 um, in like, you know, typed notes in my phone. And, um, and so I just like compiled pages and pages really with no organization um the the the, the worst of the worst <laughs> <laughs> the opening the opening salvo is pretty good <laughs> and i said surely not surely they will say no <laughs> but this is what i want to write about and so it's a lot of you know very sexually explicit things um things that uh that i would not ever speak uh, at a dinner table um and and up until probably the beginning of the pandemic, I I still felt very much that I had to always change my hat depending on which room I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been an educator, I've been a minister, I've been um, you know a go-go boy at the, at, the, at the gay bar. Um, mm-hmm. I've been it all, and so depending on where where I was, I still felt so much the need to tailor my 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 language and my stories based on my audience. Would and you say that there are parts of this town that you have to tiptoe around? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was about a breakup. I didn't know if that was about for like two years. No idea. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's, it's about all of that. Um, okay. The, you know, the feeling that, that, you know, you just can't, you don't, you can't be all of yourself anywhere. Um, and and so, so this book is very scary because another part of that is that with music, especially the shows that I put on myself, I'm the one who sees the guest list. Mm-hmm. I know the moment you buy a ticket, it's in my inbox, and I saw the name. Mm-hmm. I know who's coming to my shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know who's buying this book. And I don't know who's listening to the podcast. It doesn't tell me I don't get receipts, you know? Mm. Um, so, like, people who I, who I might go see in the streets now, or even people who may come to my shows from, from here on out, I'm not sure what how deep they know who I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, like, that part is, like, terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And like I said before, 
nobody should write a book in 2020. Now, luckily, the year's over. <laughs> so, uh, so, it's so it's fine. The, the number's over. <laughs> you know, that number, that, that year's over. It was, I mean, just the, 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 the severity, the speed at which it came to us, the, the, the lack, I mean, this is pre-vaccine, right? So, mm-hmm. like, we were still really not leaving the house. Like, like it, in the winter, the dead of winter, that, that the late in the year, it was just a different, it's different. It's different than now. It's different than anything that happened before, mm-hmm. um, and to to explain to to people in the future, children now or or people who are being born now, uh, what that felt like. There's just really no words. Um, but but one kind of like, like, I don't know uh, symptom of it is is this book, which was really just publicly or openly discussing things that that scare me and i was um reading uh and looking at recently uh michaela cole who is a a, a writer and, and actress um is that what you posted about yeah yesterday on instagram yeah so she won an emmy for for the writing of um i may destroy you which is this incredible book but she said uh oh, so not, not a book an incredible um series but she said in that um in her speech her acceptance speech she's like you know um I wanted to write about things that were terrifying <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and a way to when you um, have language when you give language if you can talk about something you can manage it but if you can't talk about it then you can't manage it and so these are all these things it's a compilation of things that I, that I felt like I couldn't talk about for my entire life and I just put it out there and, um, and again I believe that vulnerability wins I believe that people will see the vulnerability in it I believe that people will identify with it in ways that they didn't expect to um, I do think it's going to make people people blush um, and that's okay um, but there are millions of people who have been ostracized by the church there are mainly millions of people who have at least explored their sexuality you know and like in, in kind of encountered the awkwardness of, of that um, and there are, are millions of people who, who, who feel the, the need to, to talk about and to uh, come against um, systemic racism, racism in America and so I think that the book does speak to a lot of people and I hope that they enjoy it not knowing who your audience is is something we've talked about as an artist you know yeah. until you've really gotten out of Kansas City we, we can see who comes to a typical Calvin Arsenio show here mm-hmm. I don't know what that looks like in Dallas right. we don't know what that looks like in Paris right. I think you've brought up something there about that vulnerability which you've always expressed to Jim and me that that's so important for you the difference is on the printed page it's not the same thing as me listening to Tiptoe at a live show or even on the radio because the lyrics are fleeting. Now I could go get a copy and read the lyrics for myself. Right. But when you put something on the printed page, that's it's permanent, right? Right. Mm. That's <laughs> got to be, I think, the scary feeling. It's, it's there. You can't yeah. say, I didn't say that. I, right. didn't, I didn't think that. Well, you wrote it. And you can't really like, you can't, there's no way to imply, you know, like the the, oh, yeah. the, the, the reader is going to imply all of their, all, everything that they mm-hmm. want. Um and and like you were saying about the audiobook, like you know, each of these things are different kind of apparatuses for 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 how media or, or language is, 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 is catered to an audience member or an individual. And um, I didn't read any of these pieces before before like in front of an audience. Mm. There's no vetting, absolutely not. Mm. Like there is no way to be like, Oh yeah, this one bombs every time, you know, like and like just take it out of the mix. I don't know what the singles of the book are. I don't know what people good point like you know what I mean like yeah. what you know I just don't know yet um, and people who maybe have written a book outside of 2020 would have been able to a, a, a book a book of poetry may have been able to or you know performative poetry 
I'm a performer, so this is where it feels like I feel like this is like disconnect. I'm not I'm not sure how this is gonna go. Right. But but I didn't get to go to poetry slam nights and try things out. Like I didn't I not I've done none of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, that imposter syndrome. Like I'm not even like I didn't put in my time in to be a poet. I just wrote down my feelings about these certain specific subjects and um, and and did the best I could. Um, made some drawings. <laughs> Man, you're touching on a lot of things. That imposter syndrome term I've I've seen the past few years on Facebook. I'm still trying to not being an artist. Um, it's it, you can have imposter syndrome and not being an artist. You can have imposter yeah. syndrome. You can have imposter syndrome about center cuts running a record or about yeah, this thanks. podcast and yeah. just be like, I feel like I'm doing this wrong. That's the that's imposter syndrome. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you, Chris. So let's go back to this a couple points you just touched on, Calvin. Not having the opportunity to present these works to an audience. We've just talked about it. Like, there's no eye contact. Like, we're making yeah. thanks for being here personally, right. safely for this podcast. I can't read your body language. Right. So, listening to the audiobook was very interesting for me. As I mentioned, I really only got through maybe the first third, 25, 30 minutes. I don't know the full length, maybe a quarter of it, mm-hmm. because there was so much thought so many themes expressed I just could not digest them all whereas if it had been on the printed page yeah. I could have turned it over and come back to it or reread it which I do dog ear the yeah. so that must have just been a weird feeling for you are you just like reading these to yourself and no In one's around you to listen well to I mean so yeah I that's weird. We we might we might go back and do it again I don't know like, oh, I not, love not, it I love it no 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 like, but like there is this idea of like the, an audiobook, which is just like read the words on the page in a way that is like efficient. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, like, it's time. so that so that people can hear it and then they've heard it. Now, this book has not been performed in a way that I would put it if I was going to absolutely like mm. spread it out over the course of what I feel like you would need to reflect on each one of them. Understood. Um, and which, you do you do have sorry to interrupt. Yeah, go ahead. You do have musical. There's music in, in there. Interludes and, or... And like things that I like really intuit. I, I really just wanted to intuitively score this version of it um, because music is something that is a part of me, right? And I, and I wanted to like add textures and kind of like feelings, but they're not like songs. They're not even like really dedicated to a section of pieces necessarily. It's just intuitive music that's there with it. Mm. Um and and I'm and I you know working in my studio that has all my instruments in it. I've got a, a harp and some guitars and a viola and a piano and an organ and, and you know some percussiony things, wind chime. Like, it's lovely. Yeah. No, I think about. But 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 if I were to like, I could imagine at some point maybe the, this book, maybe the next one. But really, taking my time and having like an actual, like. Delivery that that is more timed, that is more spaced out, that is more, um, more how the book should be, but be digested. This book has lots of like two and three line poems in it, mm-hmm. and 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 sometimes the title is as long as the poem, and so like they're really more thoughts to be chewed on rather than, um, you know, something to just like buzz by. Completely agree. I'm I'm thinking of seeing Rupi Kaur a few years ago at the Kaufman, and the way she did it. Most of her pieces are a little bit lengthier. As you mentioned, a few views are pretty pretty brief. But there would be some musical back accompaniment and then also just like interludes. I think you had the constructs like it's got to fit within a certain time, especially if you're going to put it on a CD, right. you know, with a limited length or yeah. vinyl yeah. eventually, yeah. which is a whole different process. So I think that what you created, at least from what I've heard, sounds 
you know, just, just lovely. Mm-hmm. Talk about some of the themes when we've talked about sexuality a little mm-hmm. bit, obviously. Yeah. I mean, race, mm-hmm. thinking about the past year and a half, which well, as yeah. Chris already mentioned, it, nothing's changed. You know? <laughs> we right. keep doing the same thing. Right. Well, thinking about the past year and a half in the context of, in the context of somebody who, uh, somebody who, who didn't have to deal with it before that, mm-hmm. um, but also doing some introspective work. I mean, and when I say I didn't have to deal with it, I was sheltered um, by the stage. I was sheltered by the church. I was sheltered by white America. I didn't have to encounter racism on a daily basis in a way that made me fear for my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and learning about the fact that there are people, which it might, it might seem like obvious and placating right now, but like that there are people who have to deal with with active, fearful racism on a daily basis. This is not something that I, that I was consciously thinking about before last year. Mm-hmm. And until we, like, even if I'm not experiencing that as a black person, and even if I'm still not experiencing that as a black person, although I am, like, dealing with some PTSD around all of that, having to witness it so much, um, but even that's a place of privilege to be able to say I'm experiencing PTSD from witnessing something, you know, having to something else, somebody else is like, well, it's, mm-hmm. it's its own privilege, mm-hmm. you know. But what, what I want to say is that, like, until we are all actively working to, to, to make sure that no one has to deal with this on a daily basis, then the job is not done. Mm-hmm. Um, me experiencing a, a, a good life is not enough of a... Of a um, of, of, of reconciliation you know like like there needs to be more done and so um, so yeah so I'm talking about about those things in the book as well mm-hmm. again I think it's it's great to have empathy it's still not the same thing as experience it right. when you walk out the door right. you feel like you've got a target on your back because of the I mean, color of your skin I, I do feel more of that now um, than I ever did before which is like you know for better and worse but um you know, I think about, you know, people who drive erratically around the town, like, like I'm always in the speed limit, I'm always putting my blinker on, I've always mm-hmm. got my seatbelt on, I don't want to be pulled over because I don't mm-hmm. know what's going to happen next, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, like, you know, and so being able to, like, drive, like, crazy, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, yeah. yes. zoom yeah. past you, like, that's privilege, you know what I mean, like, yes. I just can't, like, I can't imagine doing that because I don't want, I don't want to have that conversation with anybody, you know, mm-hmm. It's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. I need to get to where I'm going, and mm-hmm. so I'm gonna, I'm gonna not, I'm gonna just, you know, there's a, there's a fear there, you know. Yeah, I will, I will say that, like last year, I think maybe didn't open people's eyes to everything because we're still so divided. But it is definitely like a, it shook things up pretty heavily. Like uh, things, be, like protests became more pronounced. Um, even if it was like silent or just like like celebrities doing it or, or what have you. I remember the day after uh, George Floyd happened, leaving the house because I was like, I have to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And driving through the plaza. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry. Um, and seeing all the graffiti and everything, I was just like, why are we still here? Why are we still doing this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just drove to record bar and sat there for like an hour. Yeah. Because I didn't know where else to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think many people, Chris, you know, I mentioned it too. You know, I, I live two minutes from you mm-hmm. and I already walked a lot in all those directions, but it was just a very conscious effort. Like I'm going to walk an hour north and south and mm-hmm. east and west from where I live and to see the disparity of income and lifestyles around me 
um, from one extreme to completely the other extreme. Right. And if there's one good thing to come out of the pandemic, I think it's just allowing people or making people forced to slow down just a little bit and be aware of mm-hmm. what's really freaking happening. And it's not all bad either, mm-hmm. but we, you just can't ignore it. Yeah. And you need, and you need to, you know, you go back to like maybe it was the right time to write a book, Calvin. Maybe it wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have happened if you'd been yeah. out jet setting and right. touring the globe right. on the next record, yeah. and you wouldn't and, have and, done and it. And there's also this like this like feeling of like my industry is entertainment. Like I work in the in the industry of like of optional decadence. You know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> optional decadence. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> Like I'm not a doctor, you know what I mean? Like like I, I make beautiful things that people can be a part of or not. And mm-hmm. and feeling very convicted to use a Christian word, uh, guilty, um, of 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 using my platform to evade real conversations mm-hmm. previous to this. Mm-hmm. And and feeling like, okay, from now on I need to be I need to be talking about these subjects mm-hmm. because because we need to stop gaslighting ourselves and the people around us. Mm-hmm. We had an interesting, again, uh, Mixmaster conference two weeks ago. Calvin was one of our guests talking about income streams for artists. And then last week, um, one of the PR firms that we've partnered with, Planetary, had their president, founder, Adam Lewis, on with a panel talking about, or it was a demo dip is what it was. And he was talking about how, and no offense to Adam, love him. He's been nothing but a great support. Like, now is not the right time to be releasing heavy music about the pandemic, about, mm. you know, grief. And I'm like, I hear you. People want a little relief. People want to hear the happy song. Going back to talking about, like, you potentially looking for opportunities with universities and stuff. I think young people are looking to that. Right. I think they want yeah. a dose of reality. Yeah, yeah. they want yeah. a party. <laughs> they want to have the happy song. They want the summary songs. Yeah. But they yeah, don't the, want to keep turning away from this. That was very PR speak of that of that gentleman yeah. Yeah. to be like nobody wants this right now it's like uh, well no. the other panelists agree with him so yeah. anyway yeah. maybe just one more point of that Some of the, but, but I know you did some research on your family yeah. last year when, yeah. when did that start to take place was that like were you because you were still working on the book like summer so the book June? I had to turn in on uh, New Year's Day 2021 yeah okay so the and and like like you had mentioned, it was heavily influenced by my the feedback that I got from the podcast with myself and Justin Randall. Mm. Uh, we were Christian kids, and so I was just like, "Wow, there's so many like queer ex Christian people who have been really damaged by the church, mm-hmm. who have no community, and the community like no community around this shared trauma or something, and that the people that are um, like that they are in community with don't want to talk about that stuff. Mm. You know, like mm. it's like they, there's no outlet, or like if you haven't experienced that, like." How would we find each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, it was just, like, this crazy, you know, thousands of listeners, thousands of listens that people were like, wow, nobody's talking about this yet, and I'm really grateful you are. Um, and we've seen other, like, um, podcasts come up and stuff like that since that. But there's just not really another way to find that community. Mm-hmm. Um there's no and, there were, and especially at that time there was no gathering mm-hmm. so like um, but to have like the emails and the fo- the voicemails and the people calling in and being like keep doing it keep going this is great yeah. you're helping me um, how could I ignore that in the process of writing a book right so so I was like okay I guess this is the direction I'm going to take it in but but like you were asking about my the research I was doing on my family so um, I, I had come across an article uh, that my aunt posted it was a a, a picture of a laminated news article that she took in two in two pictures two images to get the whole thing 
and there's a glare on it so you had to like look really closely and like decipher it so i i transcribed it i looked at it for the first time the uh, i actually read it i had seen it went back to find it the headline reads um former slave alice gilliam scott of pamban virginia celebrates her 100th birthday and it was April 27th, 1959, um, about a month and 10 days after my father was born. And um, and it's my dad's mom's 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 mom. Like three, three greats, the great, great, great grandmother. 1959 was, was her 100th birthday. Was her 100th birthday. So 1859 was when she was yeah. born. A couple years wow. before General, the Civil War. Generally, it was, yeah, six years. Uh, generally surrendered about an hour and a half of a drive away from her okay. um, uh, in, in uh, 1865. Okay. And she was orphaned and, um, and was passed around different family members who ever needed help. And... Um, and so I read, I read her art, the article that had quotes from her talking about her life, mm. and then I googled her name and I found other books written about her. And I don't know if you know about the um, the, the lockout in Prince Edward County it happened in the early '60s. You that led me to do a yeah. little research. Okay, okay. Again, Calvin, like you said, yeah. we see these things. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't see your great great right. great grandmother's picture. Right. But we don't pay attention. Right. For whatever reason. But to think that there are there there were people who like. Like how right now we're experiencing the last of the living of the Holocaust, mm-hmm. um, like the nineteen early, you know, the fifties and sixties. You were de- like, like there are people, you know, the people you wave at at Walmart. Like in that time, those that age of people were people who had been born slaves. Mm-hmm. Like in the fifties, so like like Leave It to Beaver is happening, and slaves are still walking. Like former slaves are still right. walking around. Right. Um, and and you and like to, so wow. in this time I was also um, uh, I found a book called um, Sons of Prince Edward County which was written by my great uncle um, Arsenia is my great grandfather and his youngest brother was still alive he he has since passed um, but he released a book in 2019 uh, that was a memoir talking about his life and I believe he was in the navy and he traveled and he was also like a, a scientist that. Um, helped people um, like like pa- like um, epidemics, uh, like parasites. So like there's like this like worm that eats eyeballs in Mexico. Anyway, he like was a, <clears throat> he signed he was a scientist that studied and and, and tried to find cures for these things. Mm. Um, and, and like an incredible man from rural Virginia that that traveled the world and 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 saved lives. Mm. Um, and and you know came through academic academia. Anyway, so I was teaching my nephews, homeschooling my nephews, and uh, because they were not going to school, and the virtual stuff wasn't working for them. They're, they were seven and eight years old, and um, I was able to, to teach history to them through the lens and the context of their family lineage, which I think a lot of black people can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, privilege, but we found that last year because we looked for it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was like piecing all these people together for them, um, which is very exciting and, and gives gives way more, I think, ownership of this story of the of American history. And, and and again, having been somebody who found out, like I got the name, his name was Robert, 1709, uh, on, on an appraisal form. He was being appraised as, mm-hmm. as, as property. His name was Robert. That the, well, that's what they called him. 1709, that is the relative, like the furthest that my, that my history goes back is slavery in America. And but before America was even here, um, 
and and so like what is my responsibility as an individual who's a product of this country and 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 do i have the right to speak about it yes i do <laughs> um mm-hmm. you know i think there's a lot of people who who, who come who you know found themselves here way more recently and and maybe get to be more of an onlooker but i i'm I don't feel like I can do that um, because we I've, we've been I've been here the whole time, mm. um, and uh, yeah. So the the research of my family lineage was something that I had not done before, and um, and and had used you know entertainment and parties and cool shows and circus this and circus that like to to never have to look at those things even though I knew that they were there. I refused to look at them and I refused to learn about these people because I didn't want to know. And what I've discovered in, in, in looking in difficult positions and difficult places is that, is that I come from a beautiful family and beautiful people who were intelligent and traveled and, and, and well-versed and, and learned to do things that they were not legally allowed to do. Like my grandmother, Alice, she was not allowed to legally read. And yet she learned because she wanted to read the Bible, which, you know, good on her. It's a big book. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, but, the, but like, you know, she went and learned how to do that anyway. And like, and, and making her life beautiful anyway. She had 14 children. And at the time of her 100th birthday, when they celebrated her birthday, that she had 138 living descendants mm-hmm. who were there to celebrate her. 138 living descendants. A lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, half of the Northeast is my cousins. You know what I mean. So like, mm-hmm. like I just, um, I can't, I can't ignore these things now, um, and I don't want to anymore. That, that is super special that you could spend that time with your nephews. I'm sure that was not an easy task as yeah. a former teacher <laughs> to young young boys. Uh, but the fact that you could help them go through that learning experience that you didn't have yourself as a youth until your age. I often think about the times taking my students to um, the Black Archives um, down the 18th and Vine area. And again, most boys, no offense to us, we just don't pay attention to shit. We have got other things in our mind. We want to tap our toes. We want to scratch ourselves. Mm -hmm. And to see some of these children, I mean, they were 14, my eighth graders, Mm kind of start to just have their eyes opened a little bit and ask questions was a very powerful experience. Like, guys, I don't have any of the answers, yeah. and you know, this is this is a this is a fingernail of what's out there for right. all of us. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that, you know, we, we like to celebrate our traditions. I'm from my family's from Ireland, or you know, this is our this is how we do things in Mexico for slaves, for people brought here that don't even know exactly where they came from. They don't have that coat of arms hanging on the wall. Right. They can't talk about their their heritage on that day you know I don't you know what I'm saying right. so for you to be able to provide a little piece of that to your family yeah. you know the next generation who knows where they're going to be when they're your age Calvin right. you know 25 years from yeah. now let me ask one just last thing too so would you say that part of the impetus though was working with Justin Randall on the podcast that was like a, well, a that touch was point definitely like a like the uh, uh, the rudder is that the word um, to get it done <laughs> well to get it there you know to okay. get it to that point I think it was going to be I didn't really know what I wanted to write about yeah. to be honest uh, I just had the deadline and that's kind of how I've worked my entire life yeah. like I don't know we don't have an album yet just set the, the <laughs> but if there's a party and people are buying tickets then we have to make the album get Miller um, and Hunley in the studio right. let's go <laughs> <laughs> spraying and is going to kick my butt <laughs> 
<laughs> but that's, I mean, that's, oh, that's fascinating. That's really great. And tell, maybe we'll just leave with that. Are you planning to do more episodes? Are you taking yes. a little yeah, break? Yeah, well, we, were, we were going to resurge it. I mean, uh, the summertime, both of us got busy with, with, with playing shows and working on other projects. And uh, finishing the book was a, was a big part of, of that. You know, it, it had already been done, but like from from pages to, to actual print is, is a whole other process. Okay. And so um, there was that, plus a few other projects that I was working on, including the, the musical that I was going to be putting up in, in September, mm. uh, which has been postponed. But um, that was the time that we decided to put the hiatus, uh, okay. yeah, go on hiatus. Um, How so, can people find that most easily? We were Christian kids. Yeah, so it's on op- op- it's on every podcast apparatus, but okay. you can find that on. Um, and I'm using apparatus instead of application, which is hilarious. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's on <laughs> it's on Spotify, it's on Apple Music, it's um, anywhere that you want to listen to podcasts. Okay, and let's just what we can do this at the very end too. Um, how can people find? We didn't even talk about the title. Every good boy <laughs> does fine. I think we yeah. will just leave the title at that. <laughs> you can't figure out. <laughs> How can people get a hold of that? Um, you can buy it wherever you want to buy books from. Um, you know, if you really, if you want like extra credit, you'd go to your local bookstore and have them order it for you um, and pay mm. them for it. But um, if you are not that kind of a lovely citizen, um, then you can go to Amazon.com and give Jeff Bezos your money. Okay. The the link you had sent was it Goodreads? Goodreads, yeah. Was- so like like there was um, some um, some reviews if you if you're interested in that. I think people who um, who don't like um, sexual explicit uh, content probably don't appreciate this book very much. Well, they need to open their eyes and ears because <laughs> it happens. We're freaking animals. <laughs> it was. It's interesting though to see the initial feedback from people. I'm sure yeah. some are the booksellers themselves. Yeah. But the like you said, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. And I don't think we should be selling the book short. It's not all heavy either. There's yeah, a no, lot no, of no, no, a no, lot no. of levity, and, yeah. and you can hear it in your laugh. Calvin. Yeah. It's just not in you to be a, a heavy person all the time. Right. Well, we're excited about that. But yeah, no, go read the reviews, go buy the book. If you like it better than the, than the reviews that you read, then write a better review and give me more stars. And on, awesome. the, on the podcast, did you guys watch Jesus Camp? Was yes. that one of your episodes yeah, that you yeah, did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> You've had great guests, too. Yeah. Had some really great guests. We want some more guests. You, well. I mean, you and Justin. I'll never forget that time with Justin when we went to see... Uh, Stormy Daniels at the uh, comedy club <laughs> in, in New, uh, New York, York yeah. Chris. Oh my God! Talk about the sacred and the sacrilege. Yeah, Justin opened for, his, guy. for her. Yeah, oh, he's so free. Just looking at him makes me laugh, Calvin, <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. Center Cuts. We are still here with Mr. Calvin Arsenia, and we have discussed a wide range of topics. And of course, we talked about our calendar a little bit, and God, we could have gone on forever, some of the things Calvin's working on. But we learned a little bit about Calvin's life, 
uh, coming to Kansas City, some early musical experiences. We kind of jumped right into the whole church thing there for a bit, talked about some career choices to pursue, pursue being a musician, being an artist, as well as um, his podcast. It's got a new book coming out. And this is, Calvin, you're still breathing? Yeah. Okay, Chris, you're okay? Yep. <laughs> okay, good. God, Chris, two-hour episode. Um, so we're at 137 right now. We're doing, we're doing right. good. I'm, I got my stopwatch rolling today, fellas. Uh, we'd like to spend a, a little bit of time here at the end talking about something you like about Kansas City, and then we'll shift gears towards some things maybe the music industry needs here in KC. Yeah. What do you think about this town? You know, I've always... Uh, I hate that I say that word. Um, Kansas City is really great and has been really great to me with in the context of collaborations. And I think that the cost of living being what it is or has been the last few years, although it's changing, mm-hmm. um, has allowed for for people to be able to either do music full time or, or work part time and still have enough time and energy to do not one but multiple projects. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's not this sense of competition that I feel in other climates and other markets mm-hmm. uh, where people do re- legitimately want to support one another and and be involved um, you know Fritz is, is a great example of this he's been in tons of projects with lots of different people and, and I always admired him for being able to play drums in one band and guitar in another and banjo in another band and um, and then lead his own thing you know Right. Um, and and he's just one example of many people. You know, Terry Quinn is another person who's been kind of like a Swiss Army knife, Swiss Army knife in many different bands. Claire Adams, um, Michelle Bacon, mm-hmm. um, you know, and 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 the list goes on and on. I don't know that, you know, if if we were all in LA, that we would be able to do that. Um, nor would we want to because we have to like. You know, work at the you know work waiting tables or something, and then and then you have one chance to really focus on one brand and have that be your life forever. Um, and so uh, for that, I feel really grateful that about the community here, and and also Kansas City is very like. I think it would be assumed that it would the the audiences would be very simple, or something if you're living. If you're from New York or LA, you would think about the Kansas City audience or the Midwestern audience, but actually, I think they have such a deep hunger for experimental art here, and uh, um, mm-hmm. and people are generally like not they're not so quick to judge; they're more quick to witness. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think in in again those larger climates, New York, LA, that um, that people are like trying to decide what is good and what is not good and what's going to like be the next thing like if they're going to jump on the bandwagon or not and and so mm-hmm. th- yeah there's more of a chance to, to develop here um, and and experiment and, and, and the, the, that, that journey that narrative with the audiences is a part of the, the fun of this town mm. do you and I completely agree and obviously Chris nodding his head do you make active decisions to seek out different types of collaborations as far as the whether the instrumentation I mean you also you also move across, you know, disciplines as well, Calvin. Mm-hmm. Whether it's dance or yeah. visual piece. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely am following the muses at the beginning of those kind of conversations. Um, you know, whether it be like flamenco or ta- tango or um, you know the bassoon player that played on equally on the record. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like I just want the sexiest thing. <laughs> 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 and luckily, the people exist here. So. <laughs> Do you find artists coming, other artists coming to you for those possibilities, or are you usually the ringleader on that end? I'm usually the ringleader. Um, 
Which is, you know, I wish it would not would not be that case, but because um, we were talking about again income streams yeah. last couple of weeks ago yeah. too, and yeah, you know, no, I don't I don't get nearly as many harp gigs as I like like playing for people in the studio or on stage as I would want, um, but Vo- you know. vocally, you've definitely had some collaborations yeah. the last several years. Uh, do you feel that's changing though? Too you mentioned that too, just with the economic. I mean, you've seen that in the crossroads how artists kind of built that up and then mm-hmm. maybe are getting forced out because yeah. of opportunities. We see, again, our racial dividing lines being pushed east because of development. Yeah. Talks about gentrification. Yeah. What's your question? <laughs> well, just, do, do you feel like Kansas City is going to be able to maintain that spirit, I suppose? No. And what place can? Mm-hmm. I, I I mean, how could I say yes when 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 we just keep seeing it over and over again, like you were saying, Chris? Like, yeah. like that's like the gays and the artists go to places that are been run down because no one else can be there, and 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 these kinds of people, ostracized people, people who live on the outskirts of society, tend to not have um, the same opportunities financially or, or, or economically or, or, or you know, like don't want to play into the game of, of the rat race of like working for the, the proverbial man for, for years in order to have the certain things that you can that you need to be able to live in the suburbs I mean, I've been trying to do a lot of research over the last couple of years about buying a house and living on you know having a property and it's like you know you have to be able to show all of this income and you know have all of this money just sitting around like um mm-hmm. and 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 also the the wherewithal and the and the network to be able to go and speak to mortgage you know loan providers and and financial advisors and like all these different people who who as an artist um those those are not people i rub shoulders with and, and yeah. nor do they want me walking through their door um, so, like, they're not marketing to me, you know, they're not looking for me. So, when you're talking about these areas that are more like run down, that are more affordable, artists are going to go in and make those things really cool because because we're crafty, we're resourceful, and we, we need to survive and, and live, you know. And so, yeah, I remember, I mean, the Crossroads has been like such an incredible part of my journey as well because uh, it was it was going down to the um, the, the incubator, the artist's arts incubator. That's not the Bauer Building. Mm-hmm. Uh, before it was up to code, uh, there was all kinds of people in there, in and out of there, making sketches and doodles and art and beautiful things. And and um, and I remember when the fire marshal shut it down, and it was like the saddest thing. And then when YJ's moved out, it was the saddest thing. And um, and so th- it's already happening. It's inevitable, and we just have to find the next cool place to be. Do you? Well, now I kind of wanted to ask that question too. I know you've. I don't want to say you have wanderlust, but I know you've definitely had a desire to return to Europe. Yeah. Is there something that keeps you in Kansas City? A pandemic. <laughs> God dang it. God dang it, Calvin. No, 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 no. Okay. Like, I will it's always, understandable. Don't, yeah. Don't but no, no. Like, like, I will always have deep love and respect for this for this city and, and what it has done to me, for me, through me, all the things. Um, but at the same time, it is not practical for any artist to make a living in their own, only in their own hometown. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think anybody's expecting me to stay here forever and only be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that should not be expected of any, of any artist of any discipline as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, glassware, I don't know, fashion, anything. Nobody. Nobody mm-hmm. can do it. Um, mm-hmm. so, so it's a matter of like how do you build, build, build your bridges between different towns and... 
Um, and, and like even <laughs> I played in, in New York City a few years ago at Rough Trade um, I guess the beginning of last year mm-hmm. and um, and the people who came out to see me there were all Kansas City people which I thought was like amazing like hmm. people who live in New York yeah but are from Kansas City yeah and there's a whole slew of the bridge listeners that came out to see me in New York City oh remember Rockwood Music Hall yeah it just blew me away I was yeah. like how do you guys know about Calvin I hear yeah. him on the bridge right <laughs> but you live here yeah. people that weren't from Kansas City right right yeah exactly okay industry needs to do better it needs to change yeah or should change what i have found in the last few years is that we really lack um all of the subsidiary industries that need to be around music to get it out um Mm -hmm. and one of the other things that i feel like recently is i don't know just came to mind for some reason maybe not a rule but i feel that things in kansas city tend to over identify as kansas city things Therefore, negating any possibility that people outside of this market would find it interesting or think it's for them. Mm. Because because if you're living in a larger market outside of Kansas City, you're not thinking, oh, this thing says X, XYZ KC. I'm curious mm. now. You mm. know, mm-hmm. like if you're living in Denver and you're like, why would I read the Taste KC magazine mm-hmm. or whatever? Like if... Because everything in that must be specifically for for a, geo, a geographical region that I'm mm. not connected to. Mm. Um, that's miles and miles away. So this is one thing: is like everybody who is here in Kansas City, artists, businesses alike, I believe, should should think of themselves as worldwide entities as opposed to just being a locally a local based thing. Mm. And I think there was this like amazing trend about buy local that was coming around like the last five ten years ago about you know everything being more sustainable and thinking about buying local and supporting local and all these things but when you but then but then there's like this kitschy thing where it's like okay we'll we'll do local for when it's cute and whatever but when we want serious things we'll go to new york you know Mm. and so um Mm. so i'm not a kitschy cute local thing and 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 i have to to say that about myself before anybody else will say that about me right Mm. um and i think both local artists and local businesses need to say the same thing about themselves um, we have the power to create to create worldwide, world-changing art in our hands, where we stand, where we are right now, our studios. Like, like people have changed the world with less, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And so um, for us to continue to perpetuate this idea that if you're in Kansas City, that you will only ever aspire to be a local artist unless you move, which continues to be the truth, but like... 
if we want to change that narrative, then we have to change it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that also PR is a huge part. I don't have yep. a lot of like options as far as PR firms that are local that will help me connect to other markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's going to be a matter of, of exporting and importing, right? So so if we want to be somebody that, um, that, that people who are involved in the local music scene of Chicago would see Kansas City as a place to go visit, then we need to bring the people that they love who are local, quote-unquote, local musicians in Chicago down here, yeah. you know, and have yeah. an exchange program. We need to be doing the same thing with, with Omaha and with uh, you know, Oklahoma City and with Denver mm-hmm. and to not just be going for, for the, 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 you know, huge names, um, but going for the more, the more mid-career kind of people. Um, and because and one thing that, that I think is a huge disadvantage for Kansas City just, just from the practical application of it is that there's nothing within four hours of here truly yeah like that's the closest thing and that's st louis st louis yep. <laughs> um and everything else is, is actually far so it's like mm-hmm. what do we do to foster to make this place a destination that somebody would want to be at or you know or or, or how do we build in um the stopping places along the way how do we make salina amazing so that the, so that between here and and denver is is an actual stop that people want to be at mm-hmm. you know maybe people would want to come to kansas city if there was a resort for musicians in salina like I'm just thinking outside of the box. Here, yeah. Right. No, I. T- two points there, Calvin. It, it is kind of a double-edged sword. We've been talking a lot about like you know locals great for food and clothes, but when it comes to music, that's sometimes people think that's a bad word. Right. Um, I think about when we were thinking about the label name, which we, as you know, we went through three before we got the right one. There were a lot of talks about keeping KC in there because we want to represent Kansas City artists on a national level. But then I also remembered, you know. Jim's company, Anders McMill Universal, the whole reason they tacked the Universal on there, from what I understand, was so it sounded like they were Universal. big time, yeah. right? You know, not not keeping it keeping it st- stuck there, I suppose. And right. so that's a fascinating point. I I think about um, I was talking with Chris Aguirre the other day about Nathan Roush about middle of the map. Actually, I was talking with Steve from Record Bar about that and getting tours routed through Kansas City where we've got either a northwest or sorry a north south or an east west connector it's a challenge there is no stopping point it's Denver 8 hours away it's Chicago 8 hours away it's Dallas 8 hours away so how can you do that i think the idea of middle mm-hmm. of the map for a while was let's bring in some of these artists from these other towns develop relationships with them in Oklahoma City and Des Moines et cetera et cetera mm-hmm. and then we can you know just kind of piggyback off each other, which I think is a brilliant idea. And what what helped with that too is that it was always around South by, right? So bands that would be traveling to or from South by Southwest would have somewhere to also go exactly to play another exactly. Something. So how do we find about you know six to eight of those anchor events throughout the year? I mean, Folk Alliance in some ways. No, no, that's returned here. Yeah, it, I think that was the original plan. It was always going to be here like three out of the five years. One year was going to be outside of the country, and then the other year was going to be another American city. I, I will say, though, that folk, somebody was just talking about this the other day. They were like, oh, yeah, I've always wanted to go to that. And then I saw the ticket price, and then I will never be able yeah. to go. And maybe that's not a good comparison there because it's not it's, really it's a, for— It's like, like a conference. It's not yeah. really a—yeah. But it is, to Calvin's point, it's bringing the people that's in it's from some the of the industries in. that yeah. we don't have, like PR. Yes. To me, that's something we're lacking yeah. in here. Yeah. We don't have in-house— PR and promotion, um, I think we're lacking in music publications. Mm. Like, it's just a diversity of that. Like, I don't see 
I don't follow an Instagram feed of people that are talking about what what happened that week. I mean, there's a couple, mm-hmm. but but the ones that I do know of call themselves Casey. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so it's like like how do we how do we how do we make because okay, it's like Hollywood has their red carpets, right? And like people take pictures of those things, and then they end up like getting out the next day or even that night, right? But like who, like we have great photographers. But like they're not pushing that that media into a way where there's gossip or where there's like a column or where there's like people you know there's just not enough like conversation about what trajectory that that people are on or like or or you know what's happening or what people are wearing I don't know yeah. those, those things you know it's like yeah we just don't have any of that or it's like and, and there's something similar to that that Patrick's brought up a bunch of times about like Kansas City claiming jazz. And then if you just grabbed a random Kansas City and then asked them who's their favorite jazz musician, they would have no answer. <laughs> yeah. And they would just have no answer. It's right. like, so well, that's of... part of like cultivating the scene correctly and not right. like making it a free drink-a-thon at mm-hmm. most of their venues. It needs to be like, no, this is like, I don't know. There's there's a lot of issues around that. But yeah. yeah. Do you... Guys, do you think that's because also just information sources are so fragmented these days? Like there is no go-to source. Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of that. Like I would think that probably 15, 20 years ago, people would be like, "Oh, I go to the pitch to find my totally, totally. all of this." I did, you yeah. know. Yeah. And then when that stuff starts going by the wayside and maybe the pitch or those other type of rags don't transition to digital gracefully mm-hmm. in a way that makes them be like, so you can get, you can pick up like the, the actual paper, but there's like, you need to go here and like really hammer home going mm-hmm. to the, the site and like that and making that a big deal. Yeah. Um, I think it just became tough. Like with, with that, that type of media sort of falling by the wayside in a lot of ways, like even the star is like, you know, they're not doing any music, anything, um, you know, like with that falling by the wayside, I think that particular, like, like publications and things just didn't quite make that jump early enough mm-hmm. or like in a way that made it to where you go to the kids, and you get like, see all those photos Con- and that information on that pitch or, you know, mm-hmm. like those things. It's like, it just didn't quite, happened quick enough yeah it was like it was almost reactionary you know yeah they gotta make money too though I've thought about yeah, that yeah absolutely like how are they supposed to make their money promoting music and they and of course their stuff before was they make their money through ads that, and when the ad revenue to pay. starts disappearing it like it's, it's hard you know all I know is that other people have figured it out yes mm-hmm. And they are just a text message away, yeah. whoever they are, <laughs> mm-hmm. or an email, or an email. But like you know, everyone has their 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 pocket computers. Like we should be asking these questions to figure out how how to make scenes or how scenes are made in other places, um, and and what what we need. But I I do think it's like yeah, it's the media part of it because like everyone everyone is a local musician yeah. in the world, of course, yep. because we can all only live in our our, our own body at once, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we see as people who are more established or whatever, like their local world is just has more more and better cameras and more and better columnists and more and better writers and more and better paparazzi who are like taking pictures for people and selling selling them off. Mm-hmm. Um, 
more more publications because it's not just one or two that are out there it's dozens right so mm-hmm. it's like it isn't just about researching the pitch it's about like we need we need very specific things that are happening that that people globally are looking at to see what's going on here you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we almost need like a paste magazine but for Kansas City or, or that is like doing that similar kind of thing but in Kansas City and I think not just but also to Calvin's point Chris not just covering Kansas City artists right covering yeah. whatever they like is happening in. here yeah. yeah across dance across theater yeah. across yeah. comedy across, I mean it's an incredible city it's just yeah. diverse it's just not necessarily easy to find all that information in one place and you know for the person with a short attention span or that doesn't even know to go look for it you gotta make it easy to find right yeah. Well, I feel really good about this conversation today. It's been a while, Chris, since I've been in the room with you. Um, Calvin, you're such a lovely human being. We really appreciate giving up your time. I know you have a busy day today and tomorrow for the rest of your life. (laughs) Very excited to read. I mean, I know you've sent me the manuscript. Um, I love your words. I love your voice. I think Mm -hmm. you're going to find a lot of people are going to connect with you that don't know about you, and that's exciting. Yeah. And as you mentioned, some people, you know, not their cup of tea, but yeah. how do you finish that phrase? It may not be your cup of tea, but... But uh, what, who is or what is? Yeah. What is everybody's cup of tea? It may not be everybody's cup of tea, but what is? Yeah. Right. Sorry, I did that. <laughs> but let's cut that. Um, everyone, you can find more information about all things Calvin at his website, mm-hmm. CalvinArcini.com. Yep. If you're looking to order the book, Every Good Boy Does Fine, that comes out October 5th. Yep. It's available on Amazon. Pre- Target, Walmart. Yeah. Wow, big city. I know. Um, <laughs> wishing you a, a safe next few months here as we move into 2022 love to see your continued growth yeah chris thanks so much great to see you good luck with your your show on thursday with um shy boys liam kazar and paris that's a heck of a lineup yeah planning to get out for that i think that's all it is for today fellas kansas city stay safe stay strong peace out